1: And, and this, this is, is DBT and Me.
0: Hi, everybody. Hello. It's our, Hello. Hello. Um, it's our final Distress Tolerance episode. Mm. Um, yeah, we are two-thirds of the way. Well, even more than that because of mindfulness. I guess three-quarters of the way through... The DBT curriculum, because we've covered mindfulness and emotion regulation. Yeah, I know. It is pretty crazy. Um, (laughs) And now distress tolerance. So last week was technically, and Kate, I think you mentioned this in the last episode, that pros and cons was our last official distress tolerance skill. So today, similarly for how we did it when we wrapped up emotion regulation, we had like this troubleshooting, problem-solving type of episode where we talked through some of the common challenges that you may face when it came to regulating emotions. And we're going to basically do that same thing with distress tolerance. What things can make it really hard to tolerate stressful situations in your life? (laughs) That was a tongue twister as I said it. Uh, The key difference here is that DBT, the book that Kate and I use that dbt facilitators use all across the world. Um, that book had specific handouts related to looking at what are the barriers that can get in the way of emotion regulation and Kate and I, like we do with a lot of the episodes, we went off of those handouts, put our own spin on it, but we had those handouts to guide us. And today, DBT does not have a handout related to (laughs) (laughs) troubleshooting distress tolerance skills. So basically, Kate and I took some time before recording this episode to think through what are some things that we've experienced either personally or that we see come up with clients that make these skills really hard (laughs) like you know it's not so simple as just we teach a skill and then you go out and use it and it works perfectly and it just doesn't always work that way sometimes you try something and it doesn't go at all how you were expecting and what could be getting in your way that we want to talk about today to hopefully help it be Lesson your way, moving forward. <laughs> so we each thought on our own about three different things that can make distress tolerance skills difficult to use. And then what we recommend to help with overcoming this particular challenge. Some of the stuff we recommend does reference back to other DBT skills. Like this is a skill you want to make sure to focus on or try if you are struggling with this thing. Some of it doesn't have anything to do with DBT. It's just stuff that we recommend generally speaking. Yeah. So um, yeah, Kate's going to get us going with the first one. Woo-hoo! All right. So
1: when I thought, what are some things that makes or that can make distress tolerance hard? One of the first things that I thought about was, well, things that aren't going away, Uh, chronic stresses, right? So there's one thing to be tolerating a distressing situation that you can kind of look out into the future and be like, all right, I only have to deal with this until then, right? Doesn't matter how long the then is to an extent, right? That then could be, you know, tomorrow, that then could be in five years. But if you have an endpoint, right, that's one kind of distress. But there are types of distress that don't have an end point so I think about things like chronic pain or chronic illness right that's uh that's a pretty big one um I think there's a sort of a wishy-washy between uh not going away and technically going to go away when I think about some things having to do with parenting I guess your child will get older but (laughs) like it's gonna take a while um and you can't be exactly sure when a certain behavior or something like that is going to end but um, also, things like if there's, you know, other people in your life with chronic illnesses or, you know, stress is having to do with the place where you live, where there's no end in sight for you being able to move, right? You know, things like that. Stuff where it's chronic for some reason or another, just not going to go away. Um, so, the first thing that I thought about might sound a little counterintuitive, but bear with me, uh, is allow yourself some times of being overwhelmed, right? If this thing is going to be chronic, if it's going to be ongoing... There's gonna be times it overwhelms you, and you need to be nice to yourself about that, right? There's no one who is capable of being strong all the time, right? That's just not a, it's not an option. So allow yourself sometimes to be overwhelmed by it. Allow yourself a a space to have a bit of a breakdown. Um, You know, distress tolerance is great, and uh, there's other skills I'm going to talk about here in a second, but. Yeah, no amount of skills, no amount of internal strength or willpower or anything else is going to turn you into some sort of superhuman. Where something that is chronic and ongoing and horribly distressing isn't going to get the best of you sometimes. So maybe even schedule sometimes, right? Like, a, like just give yourself some time to be overwhelmed. It's important. Um, another thing that is not, a, you know, not a DBT skill. Um, though I would argue is a skill because not everybody has it is ask for help like is this a thing you know it depends on what the thing is like can you have somebody else watch the kids for the day can you have somebody else come and be a caretaker for your parent with Alzheimer's for the day can you you know have someone you know a really good friend come and do some of the household chores because your chronic pain or your chronic illness is really overwhelming you right now Right. Like, again, I think this falls into a similar thing of there's only so much you can do with skills. And at some point, you know, asking for outside help could bolster that. Right. It can even it can improve the impact of the skills you're using and also help make up for the gap between what the skills can do and what they can't. So um, I really encourage people that are in chronically distressing situations to if at all possible. And I know we don't all have the resources to do this. So. Um, no no shade thrown on people who don't have the same kind of community or family or friends circle for support but if you do, reach out ask for help um, and then last but certainly not least because they're <laughs> actual skills um, I think about focusing on various forms of distraction from things like um, improve the moment um, or also Omer accepts Right, both of those have elements of this uh, like to distract yourself from it, give you know most of the time you won't hear a therapist uh, recommending escapism, <laughs> but I think in times of chronic distress, stuff that isn't going to go away, escapism has its place, right? Go lose yourself in the plot of that video game for a couple of hours, um, or a book, or movies, or binge watching Netflix, or whatever, right? Go, you know, lay outside in a yard in the sun and pretend nothing else exists for a bit, right? So focus on things that are distracting and or can be um kind of like the the v and improve brief vacations right um baths laying out in the sun driving to a park you know doing things that give you some sort of literal break if at all possible from the thing if the thing is your own body that might you know that's going to be harder and it's going to lean in harder into the distraction hard to take a vacation from your own body um, except for maybe if you can save up or if you have the money just on hand doing things that are really nice for your body that might help improve whatever your symptoms are, whether that be massage or hydrotherapy or going to a spa or, you know, something, if that's a possibility, then, then that's a lovely thing to do. But, um, if not distract, 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 uh, and then cycle back through, allow yourself to have times overwhelming, have overwhelm and ask for help and then back to distraction again. That's kind of my thoughts there.
0: Yep. I agree. Um, with the asking for help piece, because you mentioned, you know, that asking for help in and of itself, like, is doesn't really fall nicely to any of the DBT skills. And at the same time, in a couple of weeks, we are going to be getting to a skill with interpersonal effectiveness Ooh, fair enough. with Dear Man <laughs> that will help you ask for help if that's what you decide you want to do. Um, Dear Man is really good for that. So there is a skill that... Fair point, that's, well made.
1: Michelle's that superpower, circles way, in
0: is, is, is turning everything into a DBT skill. This is I her can superpower. make anything fit into the context of DBT. Um, something that came up for me while you were talking about this of just when I've seen someone in my life do a good job of actually doing like all the things that you talked about is my mom um because my my grandma her mother um has been a hoarder all of my mom's life so all of her childhood you know into adulthood um my grandma was hoarding and you know so when you said chronic, like not going to go away, (laughs) like, yep, that's a situation that, you know, to have someone change hoarding can be done. And it's also something that like my mom was chronically dealing with all throughout her childhood and how she handled that. Um, and you know, when, um, it came to like being an adult and helping her mom in that way. I mean, yeah, she would ask us for help sometimes with cleaning things out of the house. And when she was younger, she would get away to friends' houses a lot and (laughs) things like that. And she, she did a lot of this, um, which is, again, I I feel like really good recommendations for when you're dealing with something that isn't going around, not going anywhere. (laughs) <laughs> for at least the foreseeable future. Um, yeah, that you gave really good suggestions there. Thanks. So, nice. What's your um, thing, Michelle? <laughs> so, the, th- the first thing that I wanted to talk about is distress tolerance in the form of grief. So, really grieving something that you have lost. And I think it's important to name here that a lot of times when we think about grief, we think about death, right? A person that we loved has died that's the most common scenario we think of when it comes to grief but grief can relate to lots of other things grief can relate to losing a job suddenly grief can relate to moving and losing the place that you were living in and maybe losing friendships that you had or things like that so when Ooh, i medical use term, losses yeah Right. Loss of Um, function or ability and something with your body, something like that. Yeah. You and I talked a lot about that with our radical acceptance stories. They both involved grief. Um, (laughs) So, you know, me with losing dance and Kate with losing, you know, hopes of having children naturally. Yeah. So grief is very broad. And again, there's going to be some situations that create stress for us that don't involve loss. These are things that can involve something being added onto our plate that is stressful. And We're figuring out what to do with this stressful thing that we are now having to cope with either chronically cope with, like Kate <laughs> was talking about, or maybe more short-term coping. But grief is really talking about when something has been removed from your life, how do you tolerate that? <laughs> what does it look like to be with that kind of loss and You know, again, you talked about this with radical acceptance pretty nicely, Kate, of like, you know, there are these stages of grief that get talked about. um, But the most important thing that I think about with grief is, one, that it does not go away. It doesn't go away. It's going to be there in some way, shape, or form the rest of your life. It is not going anywhere. Again, it may shift and change and look different, but it's there. Um, so it's not going anywhere and therefore when it comes to healing or grieving, it's not going to be this linear process where you experience all of the stages of grief and then you're good to go. Nope. (laughs) You can re-experience different things repeatedly. Like it's this very winding path. It does not go straight (laughs) in any way, shape or form when it comes to having grief as part of your life after you've lost someone or something that was really important to you. So what do you do about that when that's what you're struggling with? Because I think sometimes a lot of the DBT skills can feel like they pale in comparison to the situation that you are grieving and the loss that you have had. Like it can be really easy to think like, well, how could these skills really help me when I've experienced such a profound, loss um how, what can this what can this really do for me how can it really make it better and I think I mean <laughs> it it's not it won't necessarily make it better I think that phrasing is important to let go of, of like it's not about making something better like it's distress tolerance <laughs> it's learning how to tolerate without maybe having expectations or hopes that this is going to lead to you feeling better? Like the one day you're going to wake up and not have that grief. Nope, not necessarily, but how can you be with it in a different way than maybe you have been up until this point? So when I think about grief, if that's what you've been struggling with in your life, there are two main skills that I recommend. The first, which may not come as a surprise because I've been talking about it in my explanation up until this point is radical acceptance. Um, and, Sometimes I think this can happen when we don't even realize consciously that we're doing it, where we can intellectually know that someone or something is gone and that we're not getting that person or that thing back in our life. We may know that. And yet we may not act like we have actually lost them. Um, I don't know. This is a silly example. I just thought of that has no relation to anything in my life, except for the fact that I only very recently as an adult learned how to mow the lawn. Um, (laughs) but let's say, I don't know. I, my husband's mowed the lawn (laughs) and finally he's like, you're going to learn how to mow the lawn. I was like, okay. And I actually found I really enjoy it strangely, but let's say I had never learned and let's say my husband, our entire marriage together is always the one who mows the lawn. And then, let's say he passes away. Well, I can either just kind of, you know, have this attitude of like, well, I'm not going to learn how to mow the lawn. And then my grass grows really high and I just don't do the thing. Because I haven't probably radically accepted that he is gone and he wouldn't be mowing the lawn for me anymore. (laughs) But radical acceptance when it comes to loss means truly changing the way that you're living in order to make sure that the gaps that that person or that thing left in your life, that those things start getting filled in in some way, shape, or form. Whether that with, again, this not real life example that I'm making up, whether that would be me start hiring a landscaper or, again, me actually figuring out mowing the lawn myself. Whatever it is, what changes need to come in your life so that those gaps get filled in. And I'm not trying to make that sound like any kind of easy, simple process at all. That process may take years to figure out, but that's really what radical acceptance is going to look like in the context of grief, is figuring out how you are going to live your life differently now that you don't have that thing or that person that you once did. So spending some time with radical acceptance around the thing that you've lost And also I think some of the stuff from improve that we talked about can be helpful here as well. Um, Specifically prayer, if that's something that fits for you. I think times of grief lead people to prayer um, in a lot of situations. And it also may incorporate some of the relaxation piece to really be giving yourself space and time to be with your grief and relax (laughs) and also the E of encouragement may also really apply here as well those are just bits and pieces of the improved skill that I think in particular really stand out to me but I think really all of that can be helpful in you know easing through the grief process again you're still gonna have it like I said it's not going anywhere (laughs) but to hopefully make it feel slightly less hard if you incorporate some of those things while you're grieving. Yeah. Any thoughts about grief or what you yeah. think could be helpful with it?
1: No, I think you said a lot of that really well.
0: Uh,
1: the and I like how you talk about it's not going away and it's a winding road and stuff like that. And I think just sort of as a summation of all that, I think about expectation um, mm-hmm. and that I think one of the things that, makes grieving so much harder is how much we bump up against our own expectations about what grief is, what it's supposed to look like, what it's not supposed to look like, and how long it's supposed to last. right? Or society's
0: like, expectations. Well, sure, sure, sure. Like, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. how much time you take off of work. Yeah, Like, that kind of thing.
1: Yep, and so, you know, I've had plenty of people be like, I don't understand. The anniversary of the death wasn't hard for me last year. Why is it hard for me this year? I'm supposed to be over mm-hmm. this by now, or, you know, whatever. Um, so, I think just with grief, and again, Michelle, I think you kind of said this, but just as sort of a summary, is just meeting yourself where you are mm-hmm. is really important, because you're going to be in a different place day to day, maybe even minute to minute, year to year, and that's okay, right? Sometimes they're going to be unexpectedly harder after a period of it being a lot easier. You know, we, yep. don't, we don't know, and the only thing that judging yourself for is going to do is make it worse, so... <laughs> super true um but yeah i think otherwise i think you covered a lot of stuff really nicely cool. uh so my thing i feel like there's a bit of a theme to my things i don't know. anyway uh so the first thought was you know chronics so of stuff that's not going to go away and the other thing i thought about is things that are going to get worse right which is kind of anticipatory grief but also maybe just into just fear Anticipatory Mm -hmm. fear, dread. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff, right, that can come up when you're facing a situation that's bad already and you know is going to get worse. So, um, the first example that popped into my mind when I thought about something like that is, like, a loved one is diagnosed with a terminal illness. Um, It's bad enough to get the news, but, you know, you see this whole process stretched out before you. Um, and that's hard. So, A couple of things. Uh, First one is a skill, a meditation, but not technically one from DBT. Uh, It's called a self-compassion break. I think I've actually done one of these as a closing moment a long time ago. Um, I don't know what episode, because forever (laughs) ago. But if you just, I checked, uh, if you just Google um, self-compassion break, you will get links to uh, listening to the meditation. And it's a really short, um, I don't know, five-ish minute meditation break, uh, meditation break, huh? a meditation called self-compassion break, where you basically just say, like you acknowledge that you're in a moment of suffering, um, that everyone goes through it and ask to be kind to yourself. So um, I highly recommend that. Uh, It's just so great to acknowledge that you're hurting, that something is hard. Um, And it's just, it's just a way to cultivate self-compassion and self-awareness. And I think that's um, really helpful, really important Uh, when you're going through a hard time, that's just going to keep getting harder. Uh, Similarly to the idea of something being chronic is I do think it's also still really important to allow yourself to have times where you're overwhelmed by what's going on. Um, if you don't, uh, I don't know why, I don't even know if this works because it just occurred to me. So if I get to the end of my own metaphor and it doesn't work, I apologize. Uh, but right, sometimes people have this idea of, you know, don't take breaks at work. I'm just going to power through. Right. Uh, and a lot, plenty of studies have shown that you work less well <laughs> over the course of that time. Right. You actually do things a lot better if you take breaks. Um, You're going to renew your focus and renew your energy and all these other things. So if you're having to confront something head on, especially something that's just getting worse, you need to allow yourself those, quote unquote, breaks of breaking down, right? You have to allow that emotion to show up and do its thing um, for moments, otherwise you're just going to get more and more and more and more worn down as you try and push through that. And uh, generally speaking, emotions get their way eventually. So if you're not allowing yourself to have these moments of being overwhelmed, it's entirely plausible that that emotionality will just build up and build up and build up and build up and build up up until you don't have a choice uh, and your moment of overwhelm becomes a day or a week of overwhelm, right? That it just lasts a lot longer and it's a lot more intense because you didn't make space for it along the way. Um, And then last but not least, cope ahead. Uh, That... Harkens all the way back to emotion regulation, right?
0: Yeah, right the down? C in yeah, the ABC. ABCs. Yeah, uh,
1: ABCs. But I think it's another one that's really important here. It it won't be pleasant, but picturing basically the end of the road, right? the The worst that you as far as you know this thing is gonna get uh so again with the loved one maybe that's the death of someone you know you love maybe it's just when they don't recognize you anymore or when you know they're really suffering whatever for you feels like the worst part of whatever the thing you're enduring is spend some time picturing it and picturing how you're gonna cope with it like walk yourself through the process of Right, what am I going to do when this person dies? How is that going to feel? How? What strategies can I have in place to make sure I'm supported? Uh, what can I do to take care of myself? Like, have I? You know, and you can do some prep work, some very practical things. Like, all right, here's why I'm going to tape this list of telephone numbers to my phone. Oh my god, how old am I? Um, that's probably not a thing anymore. <laughs> 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 Lol, because landlines and shit, yo. Um. <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, but you know, this is my list of people I'm going to call, or I've you know let work know that if I suddenly don't show up, I'm not no call, no showing, quitting my job is because this thing finally happened. Or right, you can do some practical preparatory things um, when you spend time picturing you know the worst outcome or the end of this thing, uh, and also you can just you see yourself doing it well. I guess I, I ought to preface that if you haven't listened to the Copehead episode that has that, uh, don't picture yourself. Doing this badly. <laughs> Don't rehearse that. And <laughs> picture yourself coping with this as best as possible, right? This doesn't mean you somehow are completely untouched by any emotions of this horrible thing. No, just instead of picturing yourself being so overwhelmed that you collapse entirely, imagine yourself grieving but making it through, right? So that's that's sort of the component elements I would say of coping ahead is both see what practical elements you can put in place uh, to. Have ready, have prepared for the thing at its worst, and walk yourself through coping with it as best as possible mentally. So that's what you've rehearsed. That's what you've practiced in your imagination, um, which makes it a lot more likely to go that way when you get there. Anything you want to add to that, Michelle?
0: No, I think that's good. I really like the idea of using Cope Ahead here um, because I think a lot of times when We've been told, you know, something's going to get worse, or even if we haven't been told, when we're just fearing that it may, <laughs> and that's making it hard for us to, you know, lower our stress. Our stress keeps rising because we're feeling anxious. Coping ahead is a great skill to to use there. Of like, okay, so so what if it does do that? Yep. Then what? You know, it helps you get mentally prepared in a way that I think can really calm anxiety. So. I like that suggestion a lot. Yay. Um so another thing that I feel I like can come up sometimes with these sorts of situations that we talk about in the distress tolerance module is that like being patient is super <laughs> hard. <laughs> I mean it's super hard. <laughs> um and it's Hard for us when there's a chronic situation that we're dealing with, like Kate was talking about a little bit ago. It's hard, especially if you have a personality like mine, when you're a fix it kind of person Mm. and you can't fix it. Like, then what? Um, It's hard when it involves another person and you can't do anything about what that other person is thinking or feeling or going through like it's so hard to just be with that and to make an effort to be patient (laughs) um and so if you catch yourself in moments when patience feels like it's a challenge for you you're having a day or a moment when you're just feeling exceedingly frustrated and just wishing everything would go away, get figured out right now, whatever it is, patience is not what you're feeling. (laughs) Um, you know, Kate talks about it all the time. And when I was thinking about like, well, how do you overcome that? Like what can you really do when you're feeling super impatient about something? And the, thing that I came to almost immediately was, well, that's when you need your mindfulness skills, (laughs) straight up, that's the remedy. And the reason why is because when we're truly able to be mindful, when we're really able to be in the present moment, when we're able to just focus on what is occurring right now and what's going on around us, and what we're experiencing in this moment, in our immediate environment, then it takes the focus off of all of the things around us that we can't do anything about. And it really can hopefully take our mind off of worrying about the future or these other things, you know, like we were just talking about with cope ahead, I think cope ahead can also maybe apply a little bit here too, right? Like Mm -hmm. give yourself an opportunity to think about coping ahead and then also recognize that you're not there yet. Like (laughs) you can think about it. You can think about that thing that may come down the line. And you're also in this moment right now, this is all that we ever have is right now. And so when you're struggling to be patient with a situation that's overwhelming or hard for you or not going according to the plan that you have in your head, practice some mindfulness. Um, I feel like especially getting back really, really, really to the basics of just like observe and just noticing what's going on around you where you are noticing how your body feels observing that your inner world and just trying to be with yourself even if it's just for like two to three minutes to just pause the impatience even temporarily mindfulness is the best thing we have to combat that i feel like um I was yeah, thumbs up. Anything else you want to add on or I don't thumbs know. I up? Think sometimes, <laughs> like
1: I, I don't know if maybe this is just me projecting all over everyone, but I I feel like this the patient one may also be a good reminder um, to not should all over yourself. Yeah. Um, because I don't know. Sometimes when I'm not being patient or don't feel patient, the Instead of, like, I don't know, meeting myself there or doing something to try and fix it, my first impulse is to be like, well, I should be able to be more patient about this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, let me tell you, uh, doesn't work. Turns out. Yep. You can't should your way into being more patient. So, um, I like I like Michelle's stuff because there's also not really any room for shoulds in mindfulness. So, if you're practicing mindfulness, you're already helping to eliminate the shoulds. Um, but just uh i don't know it's always of course it's hard to be patient don't be a dick to yourself about it
0: (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's gonna be it's gonna be really hard when there are these situations that uh, you know are not easily solvable oh i just do this that and the other and then it's better and then i get to move forward like nope being patient kind of implies this letting go of control Mm -hmm. and that's very hard to do
1: yes Um, kind of the last thing that I was thinking about was this sense of fatigue. Like, if you've been coping with something or doing your best to cope with something that's been dragging on a bit, you may feel so worn out that it feels like you can't even do anything. You can't do the skills, right? You're like, I don't, I can't even, right? That's what I kind of imagine it as being. Um, so, first of all, be nice to yourself. Uh, that's the first thing. I probably ought to just put that as my answer to everything. <laughs> Step one. It's stop a great place to, start. A dick to yourself. All right. Cool. Great. I will repeat that ad nauseum. Um, because <laughs> we all need to hear it more. So, uh, be nice to yourself about it. And the two things that I think about that are ideally to an extent still accessible Uh, Even when you're in this super fatigued, super worn down, super kind of incapable feeling state is, one, self-soothing with the five senses, right? Uh, This seems like the world's worst thing right now because it is almost intolerably hot in the room I'm in right now. But uh, even if you're feeling horribly fatigued, you can still wrap yourself up in a blanket.
0: Or maybe when it's hot, you find something cold. I did that yesterday where I put like a wet towel around my neck and it was so soothing. It was really nice. That
1: does sound nice. Uh, Right. So, right. So simple, gentle, easy stuff, right. To be, to be nice to your five senses. Um, I have gotten in the past to the point where I was so depressed. I didn't feel like I even had the energy to watch television, uh, so what I ended up doing is just putting on lo-fi music, like a YouTube channel that just plays it constantly, and more or less just laying in a bed staring at a wall. Um, but the sound, having the music, right, was kind of soothing for me. And after an hour or two of that, I felt like I could get up and do other things, right? So, just being really gentle with yourself and doing something, even if it's tiny, even if it's small, right? Something low energy but ideally higher impact uh, to. Oh, excuse me, random yawn out of the middle of nowhere. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> Kate is fatigued as she know, talks about fatigue. <laughs> no, I think it's the warmth. I, I tend yeah. to get, yeah, whether I like it or not, slightly drowsy when it's warm enough. Same um, here. Anyway, yeah, so self-soothing with the five senses. We have our whole episode about that if you need more info there. Uh, and then please skills, right? So for a reminder, less the physical illness. Um, eating healthy, avoiding mind-altering substances, getting good sleep, and exercising. Uh, So again, that that really ties in with, to me, self-soothing with the five senses, because both of those are just different ways of taking care of your body. And if you're that fatigued, probably your body needs some care, right? So just start there. Bottom up, as Michelle is always saying, right? When you're so fatigued that you just don't feel like you can engage in damn near anything, bottom up, take care of your body. Um, and ideally, that'll get you to a place where you have enough energy to do something else, something more, mm-hmm. something different.
0: Yeah. And I like that you talked about both of these things, because the way I think about it sometimes is that please really helps us take care of our physical body. And self-soothing really helps take care of us emotionally. Right. Mm-hmm. Because we can have days where we're very physically fatigued. And then we can have days where we're like emotionally fatigued, which are sometimes harder (laughs) and worse. (laughs) Um, And so you can apply either one or both, depending on what type of fatigue you're experiencing, um, because they each address those two sides really well.
1: Makes sense. I like it. Yeah.
0: Right. Last one. Last one, and I realized when I was talking about being patient, a a lot of what I was also talking about is what I'm going to talk about right now, which is that a really common barrier struggle you can have when you're trying to tolerate a stressful situation is being powerless. And before we started recording, originally I had (laughs) thought about this as like feeling powerless. Like sometimes we we feel powerless in a certain situation. And Kate pointed out to me, which was really what I meant. She's like, or sometimes we literally are. And I was like, that is true. <laughs> sometimes <laughs> we are actually powerless to do anything about the stressful situation we're dealing with. We are not powerless with how we can handle ourselves. We have choices of how we can respond and what we want to do as a reaction to the thing. That is stressful, but sometimes there are certain situations where you can't do anything about the situation at hand. You can't change what's occurring, right? You cannot change that your loved one just got diagnosed with cancer. There's nothing you can do about that, unless you're a doctor who has the cure for cancer, in which case, spread the good news. But like, there's nothing you can do to change that like (laughs) all you can do is like again try to take care of yourself try to be there for that other person but you can't change the thing that is causing the stress you are powerless to do that so what can you do and again i think a lot of the things we've already talked about for other challenges really can apply here um like what we were just talking about about making sure you're attending to like making sure that you're okay If nothing else, make sure you are okay (laughs) with the plea skills and with self-soothing like Kate was just discussing. That stuff can really help. And also, typically like the main skill that I recommend when there is a situation that you can't do anything about and it's causing you a fair amount of stress thinking about it and being with it is to use the accept skill here. Accepts is there when we need to be distracted. And Kate said it earlier, right? A lot of therapists don't recommend escapism. A lot of <laughs> therapists are like, you've got to feel your feelings. And admittedly, I can be that way sometimes with my clients. Um, that's what you go to therapy for, is to feel your feelings. Um, and when it's something that cannot be changed you can spend a whole lot of time and energy trying to think about how you could change it or what you could do, or you can spend some time doing the accept skills, which really are, some of them are very nice ways to take care of yourself. (laughs) They really are. Like, sometimes I read through the different lists for accepts, you know, especially like when you're thinking about different activities you can do, Um, you know, we talk about contributing, if there's ways for you to do that, the thoughts with how distracting that can be. Um, and it is so important to give yourself a break from thinking about this situation that is outside of your control. It's very important to do that. It's very healthy to do that and doing some of the stuff from accepts gives you some really good direction on how to effectively distract yourself. Because again, we're not just talking about sitting there mindlessly scrolling on your phone. That's one of the things we talked about in that episode. Like we are talking about actively making a choice to do something that's going to get your mind elsewhere that can be a healthier route for you to take than perseverating and ruminating and thinking over and over again about this other situation that's mm-hmm. causing you a lot of stress so think about using some accept skills if you do find yourself in this situation where you can't do anything to change what's occurring which is so. pretty
1: common I feel like in distress tolerance it's about things that are mm-hmm. outside of your control most of the yep. time.
0: yep yep yeah exactly there are plenty of life situations where you do have control and you mm-hmm. can play a hand in how things unfold, and what you can do. There's lots of life situations like that, but yes, then there are those life situations that we run into every once in a while that's like, oh, I can't do anything about that. I can't do anything about the fact that this person is dying. I can't do anything about the fact that I just got diagnosed with this illness. I can't do anything about the fact that, you know, whatever, whatever it is, fill in the blank here. I mean, there could be a number of yeah. things
1: I do think so. also sometimes accepting our powerlessness actually can like free up resources for what we can have power over right if we're spending a lot of time beating our head up against the wall of not wanting to be powerless where we <laughs> are um like if we if we can redirect that mm-hmm. towards taking care of the things we can take care of right so I don't know can't do anything about the fact that we just got diagnosed with cancer can look into I don't know what's the best way to eat for this what kind Mm -hmm. of exercise can I do to help keep my body as you know healthy as possible for as long as possible right so when you stop trying to do the things you can't you often have a lot more energy and attention and focus to give to the things you can
0: Yeah. Yeah. And giving yourself a break, which you touched on earlier, too, Kate, of like when we give ourselves a break, it actually can help like reboot us mentally in a way that helps us see new possibilities. True. And doing this stuff from accepts really walks you through what I mean, lots of different options there, but like gives you various things to think about of like well what could taking a break look like for me and that mm-hmm. it may be that when you do take that break and you come back to it later it's like oh well now i've recharged enough so that i can do this thing or i thought of this new idea or you know even if it's not going to solve the problem yeah i've thought of this way of like this would help me feel good while i'm coping with this big thing so yeah i think what you said is correct yes. yeah cool Alrighty, so when it comes to homework, I'm going to just briefly recap the six things that we talked about today. Um, So the first thing that Kate talked about was that it's hard when you're dealing with a chronic situation that's not going to go away. Um, The second thing is that it can be hard to do distress tolerance skills when you're grieving. It's hard when something's going to get worse. It's hard to be patient. It's hard when we're fatigued and it is hard when we are powerless. <laughs> so those are the six things that we talked about today and what we recommend is that you take some time to think about which of those six things is your biggest challenge. Maybe either something that you're currently struggling with or if you just reflect back over, you know, the course of your life for the past few years, What's something that you have struggled with previously that could crop up again in the future when you're facing a big stressful situation down the line that's outside of your control for the most part? What tends to be your biggest nemesis, I guess we could say, the biggest thing that makes it hard for you to feel balanced and steady when something stressful is going on? And what I recommend once you've identified what that is for you is to take some time to journal about it, if you like to journal, or take some time just to meditate and think about it. You know, what makes this so hard for me? Or how does this show up for me personally? I mean, we speak very generally on the podcast, (laughs) (laughs) and hope that some of what we say you can pick out and be like, Oh, yeah, that fits for me. But really, personalize this for yourself, right? Like what does grief look like for you? (laughs) What does it look like for you when you are fatigued? What, how do these things show up for you and your life and really take some time to journal or think about that and then how you can use some of the stuff we talked about today to maybe again, help ease some of the stress, even if it is ever so slightly so that's what we recommend for homework. Just reflect on this a mm-hmm. little bit, everything that we talked about today. And consider donating to our Patreon, patreon.com slash dbt and me. Check out our Etsy shop at Etsy.com, searching for dbt and me. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts if that's <laughs> where you listen. And last but not least, email us, podcast at gmail.com. If you have questions, things to celebrate with successes that you want to let us know about, anything at all, we love to hear from you guys. True story.
1: Also, I feel like, Michelle, those things, because they come at the end, have just gotten lumped in with homework. But, you know, if you ever want me to say the show, the shameless self-promotion stuff i can take that burden off of you sometimes
0: <laughs> i'm gonna have you do that next episode
1: That's gonna be you. all the things but i think we have it written somewhere <laughs> yeah i just realized like poor michelle has to do the like thing that still weirds us out
0: it does still weird us out and every time i do it, it gets a little bit easier yeah. and it's super cool like to see the support from you guys like every time we get an order in our etsy shop or see that we got a new patron on patreon i kid you guys not you make my day and then i eagerly text kate and i'm like this thing happened (laughs) and we just get super (laughs) excited so literally every ounce of support that you do give us really makes a difference we notice it we appreciate it Yes. Yeah, we can't. Thank you enough. So yeah, it is getting easier. So weird, but getting easier because we see people I just try and remember that us. I don't I don't feel weird hearing it in the podcasts
1: that I listen to. Like it's just expected. Yeah. Like, yep. And here's the part of the episode where they say the things. It's like at the end of every YouTube video made by a person, they're like, Like and subscribe, yep. right? Like you just that's just part of it. That's just what happens. Um, but it's still I'm getting more used to hearing it. Uh uh-huh yeah good (laughs) because I I can get used to saying it next time all right yeah um I'm actually gonna give a little preamble to today's closing moment um most of the time I try and I don't know make the closing moment be in somehow tied in or more specific to whatever the skill is but today I thought it might be nice to do one that was a little bit more generalized um and also if you're someone who really likes like visualizing things or guided visualizations, um, I'd love to walk you through this because doing a form of this for yourself can be a way to access like sort of a, I don't know, a, a trick back door into wise mind. Um, so that was kind of the intention here is to walk you guys through an exercise that might help you both feel maybe a sense of feeling kind of, I don't know, grateful, uh, and also can serve to, yeah, maybe help you access the part of you where you feel really wise and where you feel like you can get into wise minds. So, uh, that's my preamble. So now settle in (laughs) as per usual. Just take a moment to get comfortable, get cozy, get into a position that you can maintain for a few minutes, and if you feel safe and comfortable doing so, you can go ahead and close your eyes. As usual, we're going to begin by just tuning in to our breath, just noticing where you feel your breath the most, the temperature of the air as it comes in and out of your lungs. You don't have to breathe any more slowly or any more deeply than you are naturally. It's just about allowing our breath to welcome us into the present moment and into our bodies. Once you feel settled and ready and in your body and in the moment, I want you to go ahead and picture yourself standing in an open field. In three directions, this field just stretches out as far as you can see into the horizon, but a little ways in front of you is the edge of a forest. Take a moment to build that field and that edge of that forest in your mind's eye. Notice what the weather is, what the temperature is, how tall is the grass, what types of trees, are in the forest. Just give yourself a moment to try and solidify this place and this image in your mind. and Then you feel ready. I want you to go ahead and walk towards and then into that forest. Still maintaining this really crisp and clear image as you enter the forest notice what kind of path it is that you're walking on, what's the ground made out of, is there a lot of underbrush or is it relatively open? Just noticing as many things, as many objects and colors and textures as much as possible about your surroundings as you walk into and through this forest. After a few moments of walking along the forest floor, you're gonna notice that the path you're on is gonna start to climb. Nothing exceedingly steep, but enough of an incline that it's a bit of work. It's a bit harder. You're having to strive a little bit now to continue walking up this path. Having to put a little bit more effort into your movement, a little bit more intention. Continuing to notice what's around you. Continuing to notice the trees, the makeup of the forest floor. How much light is filtering through the trees to get down to where you are. Just connecting to the sounds and the smells. As many different senses as you can as you continue to walk up and up this path. As you continue to walk up, I want you to bring to mind a question, maybe a problem, just something that could use an answer or could use a dressing in your life. And I want you to hold that question or that problem somewhere in the back of your mind as you continue to climb. For just a few moments the path is actually gonna get pretty steep here. You're gonna have to put in real effort climbing this last little burst of hill to the top of this ridge or hill or mountain that you've been climbing. Once you've crested the top of that incline you're gonna notice that in front of you is a cave. Take a moment before you go in to build what this cave looks like. Is it dry or wet? Is it big or narrow? Is it dark? Or is there some source of light? Whatever it needs to be, however it shows up for you, is fine. Just before you enter, take that moment to really create it. When you feel like you have seen and felt and heard this cave in your mind, I want you to go ahead and walk in. Now, you might walk in just a couple of steps, you might walk in several feet, but at some point along this path into the cave, you're going to come upon a wise being. (coughs) This could be a spirit, or an elder, this could be an animal, this could be someone you know in your current life, or a fictional character. This could simply be a being of light. Whatever it is that shows up for you, the only important part is that this being encompass the idea of wisdom, be a font of knowledge, be a teacher or a mentor of sorts and have that feeling for you. As you approach this wise being, I want you to go ahead and hold out your hands cupped in front of you. And as you get near enough, without any other words or any other gestures, this wise being is going to hand you something, a token, a trinket, something that is meant to address that question or that problem that you've been holding in your mind as you were climbing. So once this has been handed to you, take a moment to look at it and to absorb what it means for you how it answers your question or how it helps you move towards a solution to your problem. Allow yourself to observe and to appreciate and to receive this gift with gratitude from this wise teacher or mentor. Once you've had a moment to really examine and interpret and accept this gift, I want you to imagine it dissolving into your hands and going into your body. This isn't something you can lose or misplace. This is something that is yours now to keep. And this teacher, this cave at the top of the mountain is a place that you can come back to when you have other questions or other problems that this wise being could help you address. This is a place to which you can return. Now I'd like you to walk out of that cave and then after you've exited you can gently allow the image to fade around you. You can let go of the sounds and the colors and the textures and the smells of this place and take a couple of slow deep breaths to kind of exit the vision and come back into the now back into your room back into your body that's pretty usual this is a good moment to stretch to rotate or move any part of your body that you need to to feel like you're coming back to feel like you can be at home and present and back in your body And whatever you feel ready to do so, I invite you to go ahead and open your eyes. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a good day. Thanks, guys.
0: To learn more about us and the DBT skills we're teaching each week, join our Facebook group. Simply log in to your Facebook profile and search for DBT and Me Podcast.